So the bottom line is that we can't be quote unquote sovereign nations as long as we are dependent upon the United States. Right. We have to have our own economic empowerment. And and we need to, my opinion is we need to go from being recognized under the Department of Interior, which is all flora and fauna. We're the only human species under the Department of Interior. Um, and we need to be recognized instead by the State Department. Uh, as sovereign nations that have our own ambassadors to the United States. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber. Once again, here with the Sit Up Podcast. And as usual, thankful to you and thankful for all those following along uh, on this journey. You can reach us uh, at Sit Up Podcast on Facebook. You can shoot questions to me at Leroy Barber on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you know we love to engage. So uh, shoot those questions, shoot those comments, shoot those criticisms, you know. Uh, all of it's all good. We, we, we like mixing it up on the Sit Up Podcast. So, uh, and, and, and just again, a shout out to Amina Brown and Matt Owen for uh, their EP Soul Graffiti. Uh, given the background to the Sit Up Podcast, we are thankful for them and thankful for the gift that they uh, have given us uh, as uh, uh, their art is on display here uh, at Sit Up Podcast. So thankful for that. Uh, and to our producer, Andrew Morgan. So today's questions. Do you think about whose land you're on when you go somewhere? You go to a mall, you go to church, you know, you go to a concert venue, uh, you're sitting in a coffee shop, you know, uh, you're hiking a trail, uh, whatever you're doing, like however you're using the earth, right? And uh, uh, the trees and nature and those kind of things. You ever think, whose land am I on? Who, who were the indigenous of this place? You ever think about that? Uh, I, I tell you, uh, in the last number of years, uh, I have been on a pretty steep learning curve around uh, what it means to, uh, to engage and be a part of uh, my Native sisters and brothers' lives and community. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is quite the journey for indigenous peoples of any land and especially this land that also brings to mind something about education. What does education mean in, in its role in leadership, who educates, how you educate, when you get educated, like, like what role does that play in leadership posture and who sets the tones for education? Racism, you know, it's a big topic in our country, right? And, and we're all affected by it. But what is it? What, what is racism? And how do you define it? You know, different people define it differently and, and uh, you know, argue back and forth about whether some people can be or cannot be racist and, you know, what that looks like, what that means, what that produces. What do you, how do you define it? 
Do you avoid the, the conversation? Or are you always in the conversation? Let's talk a little bit about racism. Do you know that natives still fight or indigenous folks still fight some of the same battles their ancestors fought? Same battles, right? Isn't that, does that raise some questions in you? Like, wait, how can they still be fighting some of the same battles that they fought? What does genocide look like and feel like? You ever think about that question? When your ancestors, your family line, and your worldview actually includes genocide, that some of your family was literally taken out on purpose so that land could be owned by someone else. What is that? How does that play into your, your life? Do you ever even think about it? Is it even a question that some people deal with the idea of genocide in their family history? What does it mean to be American and Native? That's a big, like, like imagine your ancestors were here, you're indigenous to the land, and now then you become American. What, is it, what does it mean to be a United States citizen and indigenous like citizenship was given to you. You ever think about that? Your folks were here, but citizenship was granted to you. What about the relationship between the black community and the native community? What are some historical contexts in that relationship? How, how those communities got along. Is there some, are there some historical um, barriers to those communities getting along together and understanding and knowing the connection points, the similar struggles? And what does native and Christian mean? Do those two things go together? How different is it when you're native and indigenous to a land and thinking about Christianity? something that was so-called brought here. These are the questions for today. I am excited. Our guest today is Randy Woodley, and you are going to love this interview. Our producer, Andrew Morgan, uh, will be jumping on and interviewing Randy Woodley. I am Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast. Let's begin. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice, and whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us to take the dust we've been given, to treat our seconds like cents and watch how we spend them, to use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught, take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin, blank paper and pen, stories to tell, battles to win, deep breath and count to 10. Let's begin, let's begin, let's begin, let's begin. 
Welcome into the Sit Up Podcast. I'm your producer, Andrew Morgan, and as you just heard Leroy Barber kind of explain, we're here with a dynamic speaker, a person who we just, we know is going to give us something to think about. And there's a lot to think about when it comes to the topics that this man covers. So can you do me a favor, introduce yourself, and also bless us by letting us know uh, whose land are we on right now? Oh, okay, well, uh, as far as I can tell, I think we're on the land of the Duwamish, which is most people know uh, because of Chief Seattle okay. uh, is the uh, sort of most well-known chief from that tribe, and Seattle, of course, is the city that we're in. So, um, But because I'm not from here, I'm not quite sure, and I wasn't here when they made the recognitions in the very beginning. Yeah, We got here late because we had to park about uh, almost a half mile away. Thank you, Seattle. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and I'm a United Ketuaban Cherokee descendant uh, from Oklahoma. Um, my wife is a uh, Eastern Shoshone from Wyoming. And uh, we've been, you know, like serving our indigenous people for a little over 30 years now in lots of different ways. I mean, every, everything you could think of, just, you know, uh, food closets and baby clothes closets and baby needs closets and teenage pregnancy classes and uh, after school tutoring programs and, you know, uh, justice uh, uh, organizations and all those kinds of things. And, and all of that's beautiful. What's your name? Randy Woodley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, I've, I've been thinking about a new introduction yeah. um, I'm, that'll probably be a lot better. I was, my wife and I just a couple of days ago were talking about, you know, I, I always get so uncomfortable when people are doing all these introductions. And so what I think I'd like to do is just like capture and edit a bunch of my hate mail that I've received over the yeah. years. And then I'll just read all those. Like you are a, a racist, you know, uh, who do you think you are? You know, and uh, that would be a great introduction. Yeah. Let's get into that because I got a lot of questions, but let's get into that one first. So what is it? What is it like when you get individuals who say you like how do you respond to someone who's saying you're the racist yeah what they usually say is you're a converse racist i'm like okay well let me think about that first because that's kind of like that's that you know that's tying those terms all up in themselves converse racism so that means i'm racist against white people basically right um and then of course there are some people who say you know racism is a system and you can't be racist when you are not in the uh, part of the controlling you know group so but uh how do i react of course you know i'd love to say oh you know i just let that roll off my back you know um and uh but the truth is you know i think we actually all care about how people think yeah. and what they think about us. And so it hurts. But um, it also tells me that we just have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You, you were telling me you were from the Oklahoma area. So what brought you to the Pacific Northwest? And, and kind of tell me about what your experience has been since you've been here. Well, let me back up just a little bit. So I was raised near Detroit. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, went to, lived in North Carolina, lived in Florida, lived in Colorado, um, lived in uh, Carson City, Nevada, uh, Kentucky, Alabama. So we've been all over the place. Oklahoma. Um, I, I I wasn't raised in Oklahoma. Okay. So my my uh, people, my tribe, l currently exist in both Oklahoma and in North Carolina and Tennessee and those areas, Alabama. 
But um, yeah, so so we are people who have moved a lot in our lifetime. But we came to the Pacific Northwest specifically because a white supremacist paramilitary group basically chased us off our land and we lost everything. So we had a 50-acre farm in Kentucky and uh, indigenous community. We were doing an indigenous learning center. People were learning all kinds of things. It was for job skills. It was for, you know, ministry skills. It was for leadership, uh, just recovery problems with, you know, we had like red road sobriety and, and other, other kinds of things that we were dealing with as well. And then a lot of just practical skills. So, um, basically a holistic model of how, how do you help a people who have sort of, uh, have the worst statistics uh, among all peoples in the United States, the worst, the the highest death rates, the highest teenage pregnancies, the lowest education attainment level, highest alcohol, highest suicide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, how do you serve your own people in that capacity? And so we had developed a holistic model that seemed to be working well, and we're doing well. And uh, a group of white supremacists came against us with a fifty caliber machine gun and. And we finally decided that uh, it wasn't worth somebody getting killed over. And so we had to leave. We, we uh, couldn't sell our property, and we finally sold it for half of the value and and had to get out um, and uh, lost everything. Been trying to recover from that for a while. And, uh, and then a job opened up at uh, George Fox uh, University at Portland Seminary for me to teach part-time. Okay. And then, then I moved eventually after three years, moved from part time to full time. So, so for me, it, it's it's kind of like gut wrenching to hear that you've gone through some of the same things that your ancestors have gone through. Exactly, and and in the, some of the same places, which yeah. is ironic. Yeah. So what? Like that's just one hundred sixty years later. Yeah, that's such a wake up call for individuals who feel like racism's dead or these things are are behind us. I think so, it's funny that. You know, in in 2001, I published a book called, uh, or 2000, um, uh, Living in Color, Embracing God's Passion for Ethnic Diversity. Right. And it was, uh, it was a book, really one of the first ones that really dealt with the DNA of the creator as um, unity and diversity. And then it also got it out of just the black-white binary, which is, you know, where a lot of the books that have been written were written yeah. at the time. And, and, and I got all these radio interviews. I think I had 30-something radio interviews in the first year. I sold over 5,000 copies in that first year. Yeah. Uh, and then 9-11 happened. Ooh. And when 9-11 happened, nobody wanted to talk about diversity anymore. Yeah. It was very, you know, Muslims were bad people. And, you know, we were, we were all of a sudden we were losing something. You know, the, I think white society in particular felt like they're losing something. And so we got to get it back. And, and that started this trend. But, but on those radio programs that I used to be on where they'd interview me back in the day when they did that for marketing, um, they would always ask the same question somewhere in the interview. And it, it goes something like this Don't you feel that racism is pretty well dead now? <laughs> and I laugh because, um, the, you know, it, it's very easy for people in the dominant culture to to just ignore it, right? Yeah. You live in a bubble and go, it's, it, but I think that day is over. I don't think we'll ever n- stop saying racism uh, doesn't exist anymore because it, it's just too much is happening now. And, of course, we had the backlash from Obama, um, you know, by the, the, the white right. And now we're we're seeing that white right empowered, 
Yeah. And uh, and so now we're seeing a this this uh, you know extreme division. Everyone calls it. Well, that division was always there. It yeah. was always there. We just nobody wanted to name the elephant in the room, right? Yeah. And and that's. You know, we all have our personalities that we have to live with, and my personality has almost always been naming the elephants in the room. So Yeah, you got to do that. I'm curious to know what is it like for you to be a Jesus follower as a person who who is who is very aware of your culture, your history. Like where does that pe- – put the puzzle pieces together because mainstream America has taught me that they don't show Jesus in relationship with you, you know, mm-hmm. so kind of give us a background and, and educate us on on your relationship as a as a follower of Christ. Yeah. So so I have you know my testimony is that when I was 19 years old, I was uh, addicted uh, to uh, crystal methadrine, um, and um, uh, couldn't get off. Couldn't you know tried for over a year to get off by myself, and one night I found myself talking to Jesus. And, and said, hey, if you will deliver me from these drugs, I will serve you the rest of my life, and I will never look back. And bam, and I realize this doesn't happen for everybody, right? Right. But I got up from that praying time of maybe an hour or more, and I never had the desire to do drugs again. Um, I realized that there's a power much stronger than me um, in the universe and that that uh, at least when I called out, his name is Jesus, and that's who answered me. And then as I, I continued to read the Bible that I'd known as a kid but I hadn't known as a teenager, um, I, I've, I realized that this Jesus in the Bible is consistent with the one who continually helps me and is there for me and listens to me. And so, so um, I can't deny that experience, right? Right now, I'm I'm a little bit like Gandhi. It's like Gandhi said, you know, I would be a Christian uh, um, if, if Christians acted like Jesus. And so, <laughs> um, and, and so, what I I learned along the way on my path to education and everything else is it's not just every every native person knows. Hey, the Christians are the ones who took everything from us. They're the ones who raped us in the boarding schools and kidnapped our children, and you know they did all these things. Sometimes. Um, the missionaries were uh, uh, paternalistic and colonizing um, without really intending to be. That's just who they were. And sometimes they did it intentionally um, because Christianity is so embedded with empire, you know, ever since the days of Constantine. And I just don't think Christianity has ever been able to disentangle itself from empire. And so it comes with this force over. Right. Yeah. But that's not how Jesus came. Jesus said, I came as a servant. And so, you know, I I've come to the conclusion that um, and my wife and I about 10 years ago, we said we're, we're no longer Christians. We might have. I don't know if we ever were good Christians, but we are good followers of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus as native people. We, we understand our native traditions very much as honoring the creator who is Jesus, according to the Bible. And. Um, but we never made very good Christians with all the holidays and all the things like this. And, and we had that bad baggage and we realized that, that I just don't know. If, so what I say now is that, you know, you can be a Christian and follow Jesus, but it's extremely difficult. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to put it, man. That is. So what is, what is your, what is your feel on the state of the church 
and this is even outside of just the realm of of Christianity and, and other mainstream religions, but what's the, you know, the state of those of us who say we're following Christ? How are you viewing things right now? So where I try to work from is a worldview. Um, I understand uh, historically that we've been um, in America is the, is, it didn't just, you know, all of a sudden blossom in God's image. Right. Um, America uh, is a result of a faulty worldview, uh, a worldview that said, that Europeans uh, have more of a right than anyone else to live on this land. That it, it justifies ethnic cleansing. It justifies West African chattel slavery. It justifies everything if you are white, especially male, uh, and have some power. Um, it, the, the philosophy is that white people deserve all the knowledge, all the power, all the wealth. And everything in the history of America, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the, cleansing, the slavery, all point to that fact. So it's irrefutable. And so um, because the church in America um, is the, the basically seen as a white Western church, right? Even, even if it's um, a black church or a, a Korean church or especially a Native American church, oftentimes they're a poor imitation of a bad model. Yeah. And uh, it's a bad model. It's not the model that Jesus ever intended. I don't think Jesus, first of all, ever decided to that that, that we should start a religion, you know, and, uh, and and Jesus certainly didn't become a Christian. But <laughs> but what Jesus and and if he did decide he would do a religion, I don't think it'd look anything like Christianity no. today, right? <laughs> but what he said was, "Follow me." Yeah, follow me, and anybody can do that. Anybody is free to 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 follow Jesus. And uh, uh, and like I said, even Christians. So what's next for you? Like, what's the big fight that you're looking at and you're saying, I got to take this on. I got to say something about yeah. this. Well, two, two things that we try to do. Usually when I begin a talk, the first thing I say is my agenda here today is to convert you from a Western worldview to a more indigenous worldview. Yeah, because we can't solve the world's racism problems or our country's racism problems. We can't solve our economic problems and we can't solve the climate problems. We can't do any of that from a Western worldview. You can't even be a Christian from a Western worldview in the way Jesus wants you to be a Christian, because there are so many fallacies built into that. The dualism, the the um, hierarchies, the the paternalism, you know, all of those uh, all those things that make up that Western worldview all are the opposite of what I call the harmony way or shalom or what the Bible calls shalom. Um, you can't get to shalom from a Western worldview. It's competitive. It's not cooperative, you know, and so there's so many things. And so, so one of the things we do is we concentrate now on what I think is the root, which is a Western worldview. That's the thing that, that everything goes back to that's wrong with the United States and the church. Secondly, we developed a holistic model, and we've been, uh, for the last 11 years, because of losing our place in uh, our community and place in Kentucky that we had, the 50-acre farm, and um, we've been doing that in a very truncated way. So a smaller, we have three and a half acres. Um, we have schools that come in, but usually just for the day because there's no place for everybody to sleep. And and we created this model that, that includes healing for indigenous people and non-indigenous people together. 
And so now we are moving on, uh, sort of backing out of academia to take on the big vision again. So we call it the Alahey Vision, and we're actually in the middle of a fundraising campaign. Is already mention it here? Yeah, go so, for it. So please. it's GoFundMe.com slash Resurrect Alahey. And Alahey is spelled E-L-O-H-E-H. Or you can go to Alahey.org and then it'll point you to that. That's our website. But um, so a couple of my former students are trying to raise $350,000 for us so that we can buy a property in New Mexico and begin again, uh, sort of restore that whole vision that we had, we had done that was so successful before. Because in all this time, nobody has other taken up that model, and that model was one that works, and we think it will work again. Good. It's been amended a little bit, but it'll work. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it will. So that's sort of where we're at. We... People are transformed when they come to our farm and they sit around and talk around the living room or around the fire, and we just begin to share at a very personal level um, and, and become vulnerable to one another, and lives are changed, and th- that's sort of what we're into. Right? So i got a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. Uh, one, I want to talk about the relationship between natives and, and African Americans, black people. There is... From my experience in Oklahoma, I've seen and learned a lot of different things, and I've seen a lot of tension where never before in any other place that I saw tension between a group of, uh, of black people with the Native Americans. Growing up, we always wanted to you know, lay claim to mm-hmm. any type of it that we had in our blood. And for the first time when I moved to Oklahoma, I saw a resistance to that. Yeah, um, I'd even had people you know, tell me that they're that their ancestors were owned by uh, or traded to mm-hmm. tribes. Yeah. And so where have you seen healing in that community? So, so it's a very um, um, complex relationship. So first of all, uh, I'm gonna, uh, in, the, in the next two minutes, I'm going to give a quick summary. Okay? <laughs> all right. First of all, um, Native Americans were uh, enslaved by white folks in this country for 130 years before the first uh, um, West African was right. Right. So, um, but, but the problem with native folks is that they knew the terrain, they could escape and get away and, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, and, and, uh, a lot of them, even though a lot of our people were agricultural in some places they weren't. Um, and so Africa was a place of great agriculture, right? And so you bring people who know how to work the land, right? So there's all these reasons. Also our, our, um, um, lack of immunity to uh, the Western European diseases also would take its toll. So, But then uh, as uh, people became enslaved from West Africa, they would often escape, especially in the southwest, I mean southeast, to Cherokees and Choctaws and Creeks and Seminoles, and especially the Seminoles. Um, a lot of the greatest chiefs were actually black and Indian, but and they would they would receive refuge, right? Right. But then, as these tribes began to sort of try and take on more of the European ways, a lot of them became slave owners, right? So, okay. so they would they would own enslaved people. I mean, yeah, you can't own somebody, but you can pretend like you do, right? Right. So, um, so then that created another tension. So you had both people seeking refuge and others who were enslaving it, and it was a big battle in all those nations. I know in the Cherokee nations, it it was. It was a big, big battle over abolition. And one particular missionary and uh, Cherokee preacher, uh, Evan Jones and Jesse Bushyhead, were two of the prominent people who were abolitionists who fought against that. 
And then as the tribes were moved out west, those folks came with them. Some were already, um, you know, intermarried because that's what happened uh, a lot of times in the tribes. And so so there's a lot of intermarriages going on. Um, Also in the Caribbean, a lot of our people were shipped to the Caribbean. And then as West African uh, folks were shipped to the Caribbean, they would intermarry uh, with the... um, uh, the natives who are already down there from all different tribes. So the bottom line is if you are African-American and, and you think you have Indian ancestry, probably at least half of the people who think they do actually do. Yeah. So um, so there's this history. Now, now where that's playing out today is is every time there's tension, it's because the tribes, the, the Native American tribes, are trying to act like Europeans again. Right. That's their downfall. Yeah. Trying to be colonial, trying to uh, disengage people just because of their skin color. Right. And so so there's a group, for example, and I think it's true with the Choctaws and the Creeks and others. But in the Cherokee Nation, um, they call themselves the black Cherokees. Most of them have Cherokee in blood. Others are enrolled just because they came on the Trail of Tears with others. And um, in, in my opinion, they all deserve recognition as tribal members. But, but, but then that's also complicated because, you know, I, I think recognition by the government who uh, colonized you yeah. is not something to be that proud of. Right, so. right. And that was actually a part of the question I was going to ask you is how do you feel about that? Because I would see some of the, the health care in Oklahoma where people were fighting to get on it. But mm-hmm. I noticed that there were a lot of people who looked like Elizabeth Warren. Like there were a lot of people who you would not guess in any way, shape, form, or fashion were Native American or, you know. But everyone wanted to kind of milk that system right. uh, to in order to, to get a house cheaper or in order to get health care a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so how have you – is that one of those things where you just – you mind your own business, or does that kind of get to you a little bit? Well, it gets to me, but being that um, I don't have enough Native blood to actually be a member of my tribe, so yeah. the United Ketua Band is a, has a quarter membership. I only come out as 316th, so I'm a descendant, oh, okay. a legal descendant, and so I don't get a vote, but that doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. Right. Um so, so my opinion is that all our, because we've been working among our own native people all over the United States, you know, I'm, uh, you know, with so many different tribal groups for, you know, over three decades now. And we've seen a lot of stuff, right? And we've had a lot of elders, you know, uh, help us along the way and tell us things and share stories. And so, and, and then I, I know the history, right? So the bottom line is that we can't be quote unquote sovereign nations as long as we are dependent upon the United States. Right. We have to have our own economic empowerment and and we need to my opinion is we need to go from being recognized under the Department of Interior, which is all flora and fauna, we're the only human species under the Department of Interior. Um, and we need to be recognized instead by the State Department uh, as sovereign nations that have our own ambassadors to the United States. And, uh, and and maybe a 10-year plan to work ourselves off of all the grants and block grants and federal subsidies because you can't be dependent on your colonial master and say you're sovereign. Mm, that's good stuff, man. So I'm out of time, but I do want to ask you one, one, one last question. That What is the most beautiful thing about your culture and that, that you just enjoy that's unique to it? My wife? <laughs> no, it, honestly, um, uh, the fact that uh, 
our spirituality is not separate from everything else. It is just who we are. And that's a lesson for Christians, I believe, is just just be your spirituality and live it fully. Um, you, those values, the, the, the hospitality and the generosity and the, the inclusiveness and all those things that are our native values, to me, that's the most beautiful part of, of our culture. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Sit Up Podcast, right. man. Thank you, Andrew.